you know, it's important. There are some fundamental things in the Christian life that I think sometimes um, in sort of our modern era where we're, we're very looking forward to the future, you know, technology and, and progress, and it's all very exciting. And at times we sort of um, put aside the old ways of doing things in, in uh, anticipation of a new way of doing things. But how many of you guys know there's some old ways of doing things that still hold precedent? And prayer is one of those things. Prayer is one of those things that we've uh, been engaging in since the very beginning. And it's so important to maintain that. So I encourage you in your own life, in your own, uh, wherever you find yourself, make time to pray. Make time to pray in the morning or at work or on a lunch break or something. Um, communication with God is so key. So let's go to God now in prayer. Lord, we lift up to you this time, this space. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak to us. Open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes to receive the word that you have for us this morning. And I pray for myself that you would help me to communicate what it is, Lord, that you want to speak. And I pray for us as a body that we would receive it. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. It's good to pray. All right, so today we are in Romans 8. We've been in a series, and we've called it Through Christ. And this is the last Sunday of the series. This is the last Sunday. We've been in the series for eight weeks, believe it or not, um, learning about how, it, how to live through Christ. What does that mean and, and how it works? And uh, the letter of Romans that we're going to end on today, we've kind of been skipping around through Scripture a bit. We're in Romans, and this letter is written by the Apostle Paul. It's his longest letter. That's why it's the first of the letters. So if you notice in your New Testament, you have four books right away. They're called Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they talk about Jesus and his life. Then you have a book called Acts. Acts is sort of like a history book. It talks about the early church and how the Holy Spirit moved through the early church and what it did and that sort of thing. And then you have a whole bunch of books. Some are big, some are little, and those are called epistles. Say epistle. Epistle is a real fancy Greek word for letter. So you could just call them the letters. You don't have to call them the epistles, but we try to be fancy sometimes. So there's a whole series of books called the epistles, and they're all letters. They're letters that different church leaders wrote to churches or to individuals about how to live a Christian life, about what is Jesus all about, about what, is, uh, you know, what has happened at the cross, and all these different important topics. And this one that we're going to be looking at today is the first one of those books. It's the book of Romans. It's called Romans because it was written to the Romans. There you go. It's written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, and uh, it's full of great stuff. And if you read it, if you sat down, I encourage you, I challenge you, I give you this challenge. Sit down and read it in one sitting. You have to mark out some time, but sit down and read it in one sitting. Because when you do that, when you read it in one sitting, you're sort of reading it as a letter, as one you know, cohesive letter. And if you do it, you'll notice that Paul, it doesn't lag at all. It doesn't, it doesn't get to any, there's no dry spots. There's no spots where you get to it and you're kind of like, ah, oh, this is, I'm kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. Paul is just all the time through this letter, he's breathless. It's coming at you quick and fast. And uh, this small section we're going to look at today comes from the eighth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. And Paul has been building up an argument building up an argument about what it means to live through faith in Christ Jesus and how that affects your life and how to do that. And this is a bit of a climax of his argument, one of the several climaxes of his argument. 
where he brings it all together. And we're going to end our series through Christ on this passage um, because I feel like it really articulates well what we've been driving at um, for these last eight weeks. So I'm going to read it. We're going to read uh, Romans 8, 10 through 17. And I'm going, to, I'm going to take a verse or two verses. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to talk about them. Okay? So let's, uh, let's look at this. So this is Romans 8, 10. It says, But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. How many of you know that we are living in a, in a lifeless world? A lifeless world. A world that has been taken over by sin. All you got to do is turn on the news and, and discover the, the widespread hardship and difficulty that our world faces. We live in a world that is constantly tripping over itself. In its attempt to do right, we end up doing wrong. And all the time we're bombarded with these, with these ideas, with the reality of this lifeless world. And that's because of sin. The mass killings that we've seen recently, the corruption, warmongering, hatred, fear, violence. Sin is evident in the world around us. It's touched us. It's touched our own personal bodies. It's touched this church. It's touched our community too. And in fact, uh, Paul says here, he says, the body is dead because of sin. And every person can think about the times in your life when you have died inside because of sin. The callous words of people. Maybe an action that somebody took against you. Maybe it's somebody who was speaking behind your back about you. Or somebody that, that uh, gave you some sort of injustice. Everybody can think of those times. But I want you to also think about the times that we have participated in sin. The times that we have spoken about people behind their backs. The times when our actions or our words or our thoughts have produced life or death in other people. It's a reality that we are both victims and perpetrators. Nobody is blameless. Nobody is sinless. Everybody participates in this system. So we can all agree with Paul. We've seen death. We've seen it in our own bodies. We've reproduced it in other people. Even at times, we didn't want to do it. But we came away from situations, I can think of multiple times I've walked away from a situation and thought to myself, man, I, I went in that situation with good motivations, but I did not do well. I did not do right by that person. Maybe that's just me, but maybe you've experienced that too. You guys are blameless. No, nobody is blameless. Nobody is blameless. The reality is all of us are both victims and perpetrators of sin. Our body is dead because of sin, says Paul. But praise God, what does it say? If Christ is in you, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Thank goodness that the Spirit is life because of righteousness. It's the presence of Christ in your life. The abiding presence of our Lord that enlivens your spirit. All the way back in Genesis, if you remember... Uh, the very first scene after creation, God's creating uh, this whole uh, magnificent universe and world and, and beautiful with all the trees and the animals. And then it says, God took dust out of the ground and he formed it into the shape of a man. And it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. Only God has the ability to take something which is lifeless Take something which has no life and breathe into it life and enliven it and make it a living being. Verse 11. 
go. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. It's not through your own ability that you're able to breathe life into something that's dead. It's beyond our ability to do. It's beyond our ability to right the wrongs of the past. It's beyond our ability to produce the kind of healing that we need from sin, both in our own lives and in the lives of the people that we've affected. Someone says, I want to turn my life around. I need to see a miracle in my life. I, I, need, to, I need to see transformation in my family. Brother and sister, it's beyond your ability to produce that. The strength that you need is not waiting dormant inside of you. There's something that needs to happen. We need the Spirit of God to come alongside of this. Paul says elsewhere, he says, not me. It's not me who does these things. It's Christ in me. Christ working through me. The Holy Spirit working through me. Not me. Christ in me. That needs to be our attitude. We can spend our whole life, our energy, our time, our money, our efforts, trying to force a change to happen, trying to force transformation to occur. And then we come to the end of our day and we've wasted all that time and nothing has changed. If Christ is not working it, if the Holy Spirit's not working it, we are not able to resuscitate our futures alone. We need the Holy Spirit to breathe life into something that is lifeless. Uh, when we were in Seattle, I, I was talking to these good friends in the back here. They're from Northwest uh, Foursquare, which is um, a great church in Kirkland, Washington. And, and Amy and I, we were in Seattle Foursquare, which is up in Seattle. And um, we went through some hard times there. It was, it was, there were some great times, of course. There was a long history of that church. Um, it was founded in 1936, and it died four times. It died four times, and four times God resurrected that church. Yeah, amen, yeah, which is awesome. And we got to be a part of uh, the, one of those last um, deaths, uh, and it was something, it went kind of like this. We, we, as a leadership team, and we were on, we were on leadership there, um, the church was not doing well. There was a lot of reasons why, why it was not going well. But the mentality we had was, let's push. Let's keep on doing. Let's, we got to do more VBS. We got to do more programs. We got we to have bigger and better services. We got to do Halloween. It's got to be big. It's got to be great. We got to promote it. And it's... And because the idea was if we, could just, if we could just pump enough life into this, if we could just do enough CPR on this thing, then eventually, hopefully, maybe it'll come back to life. And the reality is none of those things worked. We would, be, we would go all out. Our leadership team would just be like totally drained and burned out because we'd spent all this energy and all this planning and all this money on an event. And people would come to it. And the next week, nobody knew would show up to your church. And it was the reality, eventually we got to the place where, where it was a bad, bad place. And me and two other guys at the church, two of my buddies there, Ben Rice and Kirk Cushman, you've met Ben, he's come a few times, and you'll probably see him in the future, hopefully. Uh, he's a really good friend of ours. We just said, the three of us got together and we just said, you know, I don't know what else to do. Let's just, let's just pray. We just need to pray. And so we got together. We started getting together once a week. We would just we'd go to the basement of the church and we'd just pray. And we didn't have a, a set time or anything like that. We just, I think it was Thursday nights. We would just show up and we'd just start praying. 
And there was three of us there, and we would just pray, just pouring our hearts, hearts to God. And it was an amazing thing. We never promoted it. We never invited anybody to it, to these prayer groups. We came one week, and there was like two extra people there. And we're like, I don't even know how you guys found out about this. But we're just here, basically, honestly, at the end of our rope. We're here to pray, but we don't know what's going to happen. And we don't know what's, what's going on. And a week afterwards, there was like 14 people showed up to this prayer meeting. And people that were sort of like at the fringe of our church that had, you know, maybe they had only been there once in the last month. They had started on their way out. They started coming to the prayer meeting, you know. And then all of a sudden, people would show up at the prayer meeting. They weren't even at our church. I don't know why, honestly, and it's not, and I'm not saying that because it's like, oh, you know, we, we, were, we had a part in bringing life back into this church. Not all like that. Honestly, it was surprising to me. I walked into the room, and I'm like, what are you people doing here? We came here to die. We came here to come before God and basically say, God, I don't know what you are doing, but whatever it is, you know, we're here to die. But it's that sense of abandonment. It's that sense of, I'm going to stop trying to do this on my own. I'm going to stop trying to produce life on my own. I'm going to stop this CPR. Because the only thing that's going to change this church, the only thing that's going to save this community is God. So if we don't get on our faces before God, if we don't seek him, if we don't get him on board, then what's the point? You could do everything in the world under the sun, and nothing would help. Nothing would bring life. You cannot produce life without the Spirit of God moving through you. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. He who raised Christ from the dead, not you, not find it within you. He who, gave, he who raised Christ from the dead. The life that you're seeking is not something you're going to be able to produce in your own strength, church. If you want transformation, if you want to see life and death, then first seek out God. Watch the Spirit of God begin to move in your families in your communities, in your church, in your life. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is within you, he will give life to your mortal bodies. He will give life. Through Christ, the resurrection power of God is manifest in your life and begins to work through you. Through Christ, the presence of God comes and dwells and works and moves through you and through your life. It's the Spirit of God that conveys the resurrection life of Christ to believers. That was what F.F. Bruce said. He's a, a scholar. It's the Spirit of God which conveys the resurrection life of Christ to believers. Christ becomes the conduit through which God delivers, by the power of the Holy Spirit, transformation to your life. Through Christ. Right? God through Christ to you. So if you have a vision for transformation, which I pray that you do have, I pray that you're dissatisfied with your church, with your community, with your family. I pray that you are. I don't want to ever come into this church and think to myself, well, we've made it. Well, we're there. Thank goodness. Let's all put our hats up and, you know, bring out the rugs and call it home because we're here. I never want to have that. I always want to have a small dissatisfaction and ask myself, God, what's next? What next, Lord? What's the next mission? What's the next project? What's the next thing that you're calling us to? As a body, that's what we want, right? Don't be satisfied with a mediocre relationship with your wife. Don't be satisfied with a mediocre relationship with your husband. Be dissatisfied with that. Seek God out for that. What's next for that? 
Don't be, don't be satisfied with your life as it is. Seek God. Right? If you have a vision for transformation, the success of that transformation is entirely dependent, solely dependent, on the degree to which the Spirit of God is working to bring about that transformation. If God wants to bring a transformation, the transformation will come. And it will not come if God does not in it. Verse 12, let's move on. We're going to go verses 12 through 13 here. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit of God resides in you, but God is not content to be an accessory to your life. And this is what we talked about last week. The indwelling of the Spirit of God is an invitation to live life through Christ. So God, through Christ, transforming your life, and you, through Christ, transforming your community, your family, your church, your world. That's God's plan. That's God's uh, that's the way that God brings out his motivation. Last week I said God's primary and only motivation is nearness to creation. That's God's main motivation. That's what he's after. You ask God, what do you want? God says, I want to be near to my creation. I want to be close to my creation. And the way that God does that, the how, the plan of God is through Christ. The plan of God for nearness with creation is through Christ. Through Christ, God has come near to you. And now through Christ, you become ambassadors, become agents, become the ones who deliver the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to those around you and to your communities. Through Christ God to you, through Christ you to others. That's how it works. That's God's plan. And there is no other plan, by the way. He has no backup plan. That's the only plan that we have. So we're invited to live our lives through Christ. And we're no longer in debt to live to this world We no longer have to live to the expectations of this world. We're no longer beholden to what this world would want from us. God has invited you to be in discipleship with Jesus. And being in discipleship with Jesus means abandoning the expectations of the world and seeking only his expectation for your life. Literally here it says in verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, literally it says, if you live according to the flesh, watch out. Right away, coming right around the corner, you will die. It's right there. It's sort of like what you would say if you were driving in a car, right, and something jumped out in front of you and said, watch out, right there in front of you is death. That's the word that Paul is, is trying to give us today. Death is right there on the horizon. And if we continue to live our lives dictated by the world, dictated by the expectations that our society or our world or this uh, uh, group of people would hold us to, if we continue to live to their expectations and not to the expectations of God, death is right there. Don't live your life according to the deeds of the flesh. Put to death those things. The cold, hard fact is that all of humanity, all of creation, all of us, have rebelled against God. Even the best of us are marked by sin. God wants to be near to us. So we must put to death the deeds of the flesh and live for God. But you can't do that on your own. And see, this is where we get into the real deep part of it. You can't do that on your own. Something about you must be changed and transformed. If you're going to live life for Christ, 
If you're going to live life through the power of the Spirit, something about you must first be changed. And so we go to verse 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is just the Aramaic word for father. It's sort of a personal term, sort of like daddy or something like that, papa. It's a personal term of endearment. It must be, brothers and sisters, that at a fundamental level, who we are has to change. At the level of our birth, something has to change. No one chooses the circumstances of their birth. We're born, right? And we're grateful to be born. Nobody gets to decide to be in a rich family or a poor family. Nobody gets to choose the country that you live in or the language that you speak or the foods that you eat. We are just born. And the same way we have been counted as children of God. We don't have anybody in this world to thank except for God alone. God has adopted us, it says. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. And here again in verse 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And Jesus says, those who would follow me, I have given the right to be called children of God. I'm not a huge fan of baseball. Um, This is when you get to the anecdote state of the sermon. There's no good transition there. I apologize. Roll with me. I'm not a huge fan of baseball. But I do occasionally find myself on YouTube uh, watching baseball clips. And there's one I want to talk about, which is, uh, relates to this. There, there's a, a clip that I saw that was really cool. It was in 2014. The Detroit Tigers were playing the Chicago Red Sox. And halfway through the seventh inning, uh, in the middle of an at-bat, right, it was like the third pitch, a manager comes out onto the field and starts to talk to the umpire. And it, you find out, that a guy named Austin Jackson, who was an outfielder for the Tigers at the time, and playing in that game, had just been traded to the Seattle Mariners. Mid-game. Mid-at-bat. He had been traded to another team. And so you see him run off the field. And some other guy runs on the field to take his place. From the moment that the ink was signed on that contract, he was no longer a Tiger. He could no longer play for that team. He was a mariner. He had to get off the field, right? He couldn't play on another team's team, right? The effect was immediate. The papers were signed, get him off the field. He needs to leave. His allegiance had changed immediately. To be a Christian is to be free from slavery and sin. Paul says you've been given a spirit of adoption. Brother, sister, let me tell you something. Once you put your faith in Christ... Once you decide to move towards Jesus, the ink on your adoption papers has dried. It's an instantaneous result. And some of us need to get off the other team. Hello. Some of us need to get off the other team. Because you've been adopted, your allegiance has switched. Now that you've received a spirit of adoption, you can no longer be enslaved to sin. The effect is so radical that we need to immediately get off the field because we belong to another team now. That's why Paul can say with such confidence, put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's because your allegiance has changed immediately. Halfway through the seventh inning, you were traded. And now you belong to another. 
Your life has taken a new trajectory because through Christ, through you, God is going to work out transformation to your church and your community and your family and your world. God's plan for nearness of creation is through Christ, through you, to this world. Let's move on. Let's go to verse 16. 16 and 17. It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The spirit of God has marked you as children of God. Co-heirs with Christ of eternity. Adopted into God's eternal family. And now we come to the practical part of this. The practical part of how do we live this out? What does it mean to live out through Christ? And this is what my challenge is to you. And I want to end on this. I have some things I want to talk about um, in terms of this. But this is my challenge to you today for this sermon. Who are you adopting? To whom have you offered a spirit of adoption? Because if God's work is through Christ and then through you to other people, my question is, older folks, have you adopted younger people here? Have you adopted younger believers who need some assistance, who need some mentorship, who need some some help, some encouragement? You have a responsibility to those who are younger than you. And younger folks, have you adopted an elder as a grandparent, as a grandma, as a grandpa. There's something very beautiful with the Native American culture, and we're going to be drawing that out maybe in the next few years um, because we have a Native population here. There's Siletz, there's Grand Ronde, and there's the, the Native American diaspora uh, throughout this area. But there's something beautiful about honoring your elders that we miss in our culture, that we need to borrow. Elders, are you adopting grandchildren? And children, are you adopting grandparents here? Have you adopted cousins? Have you adopted brothers and sisters? Have you decided and declared to live out your life of faith not only for yourself, but for the benefit of those around you? For the benefit of your family? Or are you here just for you? Can I challenge you a little bit? Can I push you a little bit? If God, through the Spirit, has adopted us, his plan is that you also go out and adopt others. You live your life of faith with other people, with a family. Uh, We were um, in Redding, California. I was uh, the college pastor of a a church there. Uh, And it was a great church. It was a fun church. We were there. I was doing a bachelor's degree. But the thing about Redding, California, have you ever been to Redding, California, a few people? Have you ever lived in Redding, California? Anybody ever lived in Redding, California? Okay, there we go. Living in Redding, California is very different from visiting Redding, California. Um, Redding decided, for some reason, the state of, uh, the great state of California uh, had a problem. They had a lot of uh, people coming out of jail from sexual offense. They didn't have anywhere to put them. So Redding, California raised their hand and said, hey, we'll take it. You give us a little bit of stipend for the city, and we will take it. So Redding, California had the largest ratio of sexual offenders uh, in, I think it was in the nation. Um, Redding, California had a huge crime rate. 
And in addition to that, uh, there's a lot of poverty and a lot of people who didn't care about their community. And so when I was a college pastor there, um, and we're living and working in Reading, and it's like, how, how, what, what sort of a place do we have here? And what we started, what we resolved was that we're not going to allow these college kids to go through their life here in Reading for as long as they're here as if they were transient, as if they don't have to care about their community, as if they, they can just ride this out and move on and get out of town as quick as possible. So we would go during the summer, which got so hot, every week we would go to a new location and pick up trash. And we would hand out water bottles to people. And the idea wasn't so much to beautify the city, although that was helpful. The idea was that we were trying to communicate to these kids, you have to adopt the city that you're living in. It's not enough to say, I don't like what's going on. I don't like this situation. It's not enough to say that. God has given you a spirit of adoption, and are you adopting the city in which you live? Do you care about the city in which you are currently living? And I don't know how long anybody is here for. I don't know how long people are going to be in this city, but Lincoln City is another city kind of like that, where people are sort of on their way. You talk to young people in this city, and it's like, I, I just want to get out of here. I, want to, I got to go to Eugene. I got to go to Portland. I got to go to Salem. There's no university here. There's no tech jobs. There's no future here. I want to ask you something. Are you adopting your city? Are you adopting the city that God has put you in at this moment? Stop thinking about the next job. Start thinking about this one. Stop thinking about the next family. Start thinking about the one you got. That's a challenge also for the youth in here. Because you have a family of the future. God has given you a family right now. What are you doing to adopt your family? What are you doing to take responsibility for yourself and for those around you? It's a challenge for you.